Hello, my name is Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club Christmas Edition. I'm sorry, I'm unraveling. We just watched all three of the Santa Claus movies. I just can't hold it together. <laughs> when the movies ended, Will jumped up in the air and was like, Nothing can stop me. I'm the destroyer of worlds. It's true. <laughs> Have you ever tried? Um, this is an honest question for our listeners. Have you ever tried to watch all three <laughs> Tim Allen Santa Claus movies back to back? Like, honestly, like I feel like my brains are coming out of my ears. So this is your idea. We talked about doing a Christmas special. What made these Santa Claus movies so important to you? First of all, they're not important to me. I mean, I saw the first one when it came out when I was a kid, like we all did. Mm. Never saw the second one. Saw the third one a year ago on TV. Thought it was shit. Yeah, and you're like, this will be fun to watch. It'll give us jokes and we can yeah, make fun of it. Yeah, we, we don't have to be so rigorous. Uh, I, the other reason that I wanted to do it, though, the main reason I wanted to do it was because Tim Allen was kind of a kind of a big presence in the life of any 90s kid, right? Like, he was he was everywhere in the 90s. Yeah, but in a weird way, in that he was kind of there, but no one really loved him. No, we, we could have enjoyed him. We liked him. Yeah. Like, you know, but but I, I don't think anybody ever attached themselves to him the way they did, like, Jim Carrey or Robin Williams. Those people, like, inspire really fond feelings. Tim Allen's just sort of functional. Yeah, he's there, he's, if you will. He's funny-ish. He's affable. Um, I just read an interesting article on the AV Club. The thesis of the article was that Home Improvement was one of the most popular shows of the 90s, but it's left almost no cultural footprint. Like, it was watched by, like, 25 million people a week. Week, but you never hear anyone talk about it. There's no merch. It's ne- it never plays reruns or anything. No one's like, remember that hilarious joke in Home Improvement? <laughs> it's just kind of like an embarrassing relic uh, if, if it's referred to at all. Nobody talks about it. Well, I'm sure Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks about it. Sure. I mean, he needs to be home for Christmas on the theme of the episode. Oh, yeah. He, that was a movie he made. <laughs> we should have watched that in the fourth one. We could have done a Jonathan Taylor Thomas episode. <laughs> you know, the whole Tim Allen kind of Home Improvement the, family. The, yeah, the diage- the expanded universe <laughs> all right so santa claus for me or <clears throat> let's call it properly the santa claus with an e, with at, an e the at the end was something that i remember having a lot of build-up as a kid like watching all the commercials and stuff like that seeing it on the big the, screen you remember the scene in the commercials uh, it was in every commercial where the cops are cro- cross investigating him or they're <laughs> interrogating him and they say what is your name and he keeps going Chris Kringle, Santa Claus, Ho Ho Shiva, or whatever it is that he says. <laughs> and when I finally did see it, didn't like it very much. And I re- recall very clearly telling my neighbor, she asked, what do you want for Christmas? A young girl my age. And I went, anything but the Santa Claus on VHS. Guess what I got for Christmas that year <laughs> from my neighbor? She had such a shit-eating grin on her face when her mother handed it to me. Ugh. Well, I liked the Santa Claus as a kid. Saw it in a theater. Um, my boyhood pal Richard was there with me and my mom. I liked it, but I think I liked every movie I saw as a kid. It's not a movie that ever became a real favorite of mine, but it had the appearances of a movie that a kid would like. It had a, a funny-ish comedian in it, had a big high-concept story where he turns into Santa. Watching it this time, though, I was amazed by how boring it is and how little happens. <laughs> it is. We compared it at first to a John Hughes-style movie in the way that there's kind of a realism to some of the dialogue, an airless feel at Well, times. it has this feeling of like late period John Hughes, like Uncle Buck or Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's not as good as either of those movies, but it has that kind of like, you know, some Chicago suburb setting and this sort of like hangout vibe. Nothing is all that 
there aren't a lot of big laughs. It's just sort of like... Or any laughs at all? Any laughs. It's just sort of like amiable throughout, and Tim Allen quips a lot. But I mean, I guess. This is a kind of sedate Tim Allen that you wouldn't expect from his in the Home Improvement TV show. Watching it, I thought, like, if this movie were made today, it would just be so much more fast-paced. There'd be so many more jokes. There'd be a lot more big comic set pieces. And it would have a lot less uh, serious stuff in it. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so much... Uh, time spent dealing with Tim Allen's divorce and his custody over the children. Actually, this is something I want to address because this movie is part of what I will call like the canon of divorced dad, high concept 90s comedies. So you got Hook, you got Liar Liar, um, Jungle to Jungle, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, of course, is the definitive divorced dad, high concept 90s comedy. All of them treating their subject very seriously. And what's weird about all of these movies is they're kind of for adults, but they all have like a major kid character. So like they, they all have like sex jokes and adult humor and kind of a slow, slow pace and airless quality to them. But like they're aimed at kids too. How many times did you watch Mrs. Doubtfire on VHS? Oh, a hundred easily. <laughs> why, why is it Mrs. Doubtfire that captured our imagination so much? Cause I remember if there was a free moment, and I was at my dad's house. It was Mrs. Doubtfire that we're putting on. I think Robin Williams is just a funnier guy than Tim Allen is. I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire, not a very good movie. No. Uh, I watched it shortly after Robin Williams' death, thinking, oh, this will be fun. It was not. <laughs> but Pierce Brosnan brought the thunder, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, I think Robin Williams is just a more naturally funny and ingratiating character. As opposed to Tim Allen, who looks like he'd rather be anywhere else well, there's nothing, Santa Claus. There's nothing particularly funny about Tim Allen. He's just he's just kind of he's just kind of affable. That's, he's like your friend's dad that you're like, yeah, ah, he, he's OK, I guess. I mean, I guess that's he like, grunts a lot. That's part of his appeal at the time, I guess. That he had this everyman quality. I mean, that that is his appeal. Like, Tim the Toolman Taylor is kind of your definitive everyman, isn't he? So we should point out that when the Santa Claus hit theaters, yeah. that Tim Allen has basically the best year of his life. Okay, the, the week that this movie came out, Tim Allen had the number one movie at the box office, the number one book on the bestseller list. That was Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man, you'll remember. And he had the number one show on TV, Home Improvement. I mean, that's has anybody had a week like that? That's incredible. And so this movie comes out, and it's just more Tim Allen stuff. Now, Tim Allen doesn't have that much of a, a fruitful cinematic career. Jungle to Jungle, Joe Somebody... There was definitely a genre of the, Big trouble. the Tim Allen movie, like Tim Allen family comedies. There was that superhero one, Zoom. Oh, but that, that was, was way later, dog. way later. But yeah, but they're all part of the same like genre of, I mean, there are the Tim Allen family comedies and then there are the Tim Allen grown-up comedies. That's where Big Trouble, Who is Cletus Tout? <laughs> what? Uh, or um or or for richer or poorer with kirstie alley or tim allen in red belt well david mamet film red belt is like uh, not not really part of that continuum that's his bid for weird outlier that's like how jim belushi is in the ghost rider Um, (laughs) oh sorry i thought i heard the ghost rider Oh, no, no. The, Jim Belushi plays the Flaming no. Skull Man. <laughs> Roman Polanski is the ghostwriter. Yeah. But I think he's quite good in Red Belt. Have you seen Red Oh, Belt? I think he's very good in Red Belt. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see more, like, good dramatic work from Tim Allen. But, you know, when you probably have that much money, 
You're probably pretty lazy and don't want to do too much stuff. Clearly. Do you remember at the Golden Globes a few years ago? It was one of the times that Ricky Gervais hosted and he had he did a joke that I thought was amazing where he said, what can I say about our next two presenters? The first, his films have made over a billion dollars. He starred in Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Cast Away, Tom Hanks. And the second is Tim Allen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we should talk about... It's weird that this is a, like a Tim Allen episode, sure. but you can't talk about Tim Allen without talking about the fact that he went to jail for three years for selling <laughs> cocaine. Listen, you got to separate the artist from the art. <laughs> it is funny, though, because he became like, you know, the king of like, you know, children's uh, family innocuous entertainment. And yeah, he went to jail. He got a reduced sentence for being a cocaine dealer because he ratted out all the other <laughs> cocaine dealers in the area. And after that, he became a stand-up comedian. A dirty stand-up comedian, too. He was like a Bob... An Andrew Dice Clay, if you will. Or a Bob Saget type, mm. you know. Uh, and then he became a somewhat cleaner stand-up comedian doing jokes about the differences between men and women <laughs> and uh or should i say there's an episode of inside the actor studio where james lipton interviews tim allen and they have they have a whole segment where like he tim allen communicates in different kinds of grunts oh my god <laughs> and that's imagine being james lipton and you're like who am i talking to today you're like tim allen that's why inside the actor studio is not a show to be taken seriously <laughs> So, Tim Allen and the Santa Claus. I don't know what else we can say about the movie. Well, let's say what it's about, because I think the plot bears some scrutiny. (laughs) So, Tim Allen plays a divorced dad who just can't keep it together. He's a workaholic. Kind of. That doesn't really play into too much of it. Yeah. Oh, I think Jingle All the Way probably also belongs to this genre. Oh. Even though... They're married. Yeah, they're married, but it's the same kind of, like, workaholic dad trying to bond with his kid thing. The greatest of all Christmas films. It's fucking better than this, I'll tell you that. (laughs) So Tim Allen spending the night with his son uh, on Christmas Eve accidentally surprises Santa Claus on the roof, killing him. Yeah, he 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 hears footsteps on the roof and he runs out and and you know Santa falls off and then it turns out Tim Allen for some reason decides to dress you know t- take take the uh, clothes off of Santa's fucking body and put them on dead body and, and and go around the world completing his rounds. Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, I guess that was Santa's last stop, right? <laughs> but it turns out. The minute you put on Santa's outfit, you have agreed to a contract. Which sounds not legally binding in any way, no, shape, or form. No, like, like you have to consent to the contract, clearly. <laughs> yeah. It's not like if I put on a coat or something like that, I suddenly have to be drafted in the army. No, um, but I, I mean, and is the contract only legal in like the North Pole? <laughs> I what, guess. What are, the, what's the what are these magical rules? Never really established, even though the later films open up the world in Santa Claus mythology to include such luminaries as Father Time, Mother Nature, yeah, the Easter Jack Bunny. Frost, the Easter Bunny. Um, Cupid played by Kevin Pollock. But anyway, even though he has been non-consensually drafted into being Santa Claus, over time, we, we follow Tim Allen over the course of a year. <laughs> and you feel that year. Yeah, it really, like, you really do feel the passage of time in this movie. There are a lot of scenes of, like, the seasons passing and Tim Allen, like, wandering the streets alone that gives it kind of a wistful quality. Where almost no music plays. <laughs> almost like... no music. And you see Tim Allen gaining weight and gaining this, like, big white beard. And it, it just kind of feels Could like... Could have been a darker film. 
Well, it feels like watching this this sad, divorced guy's downward spiral, <laughs> even though it's supposed to be a fun children's movie. He's realizing that there's going to be nothing more to his life, and he's just <laughs> letting himself go. And for the whole movie, because his son went along with him to the North Pole, his son keeps saying, Dad's really Santa Claus, Dad's really Santa Which Claus. Which he does in a classroom where it's... Um, bring your parent to work day that also includes a ballerina and an astronaut in the background <laughs> but so tim allen has, we were so taken tim aback allen by that has a has an ex-wife played by wendy crewson and her new husband played by the great judge reinhold who man he commits for all these three films of a mock trial with jay reinhold fame <laughs> And uh, hey, uh, the other Christmas classic, Gremlins. Yeah, is Judge Reinhold in that? Yeah, he plays the villain in it. Oh, okay. it's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen it. I'm sorry, but but they think that because because the kid thinks that his dad really is Santa, and because Tim Allen starts looking more and more, and like Tim Santa, Allen denies it as like the yeah. months go on. He's like, I'm not Santa Claus. He tries to. Uh, trick his kid into like keeping a secret but this kid is terrible Awful. and he just tells everybody uh so judge reinhold and wendy Crewson think that the only course of action that's reasonable is to uh stop tim allen's visitation rights and make sure the kid doesn't see him anymore for his own good so it's a very sad film and at that point tim allen decides to fully embrace his identity as santa claus go to the north pole and kidnap his son and take him with him so the scene happens where Tim Allen has been denied visitation, right? He visits his son seemingly for the last time. And he just decides to take his son with him to the North Pole, not telling anyone where he's going for a month. Because it's established it's Thanksgiving and Christmas he comes back. Which incites a manhunt for Tim Allen. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, wanted posters go up. But we see a really cool montage at the North Pole where, like, (laughs) Tim Allen's... You know, doing all this Santa Claus business, and we see him dance a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Remember the dance? And can you imagine all the um, tear-filled nights Judge Reinhold that Tim Allen's ex-wife had? Oh my God, it would be awful. <laughs> you know, your crazy ex-husband who thinks he's Santa Claus has stolen your son for a month, <laughs> and but it all works out in the end. Yeah, because he shows up in you know his ex-wife's living room, and she just instantly accepts Daddy yeah. Santa Claus. And then Judge Reinhold, who has never believed in Santa because he didn't get a weenie whistle as a child, <laughs> suddenly receives it, and he blows on that whistle like his whole life depended on it. But there's a... So there are a couple of weird plot holes at the center. Of Other it. than the fact that this film is incredibly boring. Well, yeah, it's it's boring. It's like we're making it sound more interesting than it is. It's really slow. Um, but the plot holes at the center of this universe are the fact that the adults in this movie don't believe in Santa Claus. There, are, there's a lot of talk in this movie about oh, when we, we oh I stopped believing in Santa when I didn't get that weenie whistle. Oh, I stopped believing in Santa when this that happened. But the thing is, Santa is objectively real in this universe. He visits houses. He leaves presents under. The like big presents, like canoes. Like he, it's not up for debate. Well, maybe there's a kind of mind uh, warping thing that he's doing to the parents, where they're like, "Oh, we obviously delivered these presents." Why would he do that? That's not in Santa's <laughs> best interest. I don't understand. But at the same time, in the later films, they make it a very specific point that people cannot know that Santa really exists. And that's insane, too. And, well, it doesn't make sense, first of all, because Tim Allen's son has spent the whole first movie saying that Tim Allen is Santa Claus. You know, whenever Tim Allen wants to visit his family, he just literally flies his reindeer to their house. <laughs> no, no, no. He Very uses visible. His magic f- uh, floating bag. 
<laughs> yeah. Which is never established in any of the other movies. In part, oh, in part three, he flies his reindeer to Wendy Cruz and Santa. Don't <laughs> yeah. you remember? I mean, in the final scene of Santa Claus, Tim Allen leaves in front of the police and everyone with his yeah. reindeer, and he's like, "See you later, Charlie, his S- son." So I don't know where this secrecy is necessary. <laughs> Can we talk about the amazing visual effects of Santa oh, Claus? Oh, let's do it. Yeah, this was a time where CG was finding its legs and. This Seemingly was... anything you could do was good enough. Okay, this was a year after Jurassic Park, so this movie has no excuses. But yeah, the scenes where where Tim Allen, as the kid says, turns into Jello and goes down the chimney, uh, I mean, you could say it hasn't aged well. So I have a lot of questions about the original Santa as well. Did he want to die? Yeah. Like, we established that Santa has all these magic powers. He could turn into Jello, but this Santa seemingly falls down a roof and breaks his neck and... Dies? Yeah. yeah, he could have he could have saved himself for sure. <laughs> but I think also Santa like it was a setup, clearly. Like he wanted somebody to It seems like Santa's surprised though. He's like, whoa, whoa. whoa. But then we also see him do like a thumbs up just as his body <laughs> No, he waves goodbye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as his body like disintegrates. But we learned from this movie that there have been many Santas over the years. There's even a a room at the North Pole where, you know, the uh, snow globes from all the Santas. <laughs> you think their there. souls are trapped in that snow globe? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. <laughs> Screaming for eternity. <laughs> so there's a happy ending to this movie. Santa Claus yeah. goes and lives at the North Pole. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. And his son uh, is given a snow globe and told that if he shakes it, Santa will instantly appear day or night. And that would be a real pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Which led to me and Will making many jokes about Santa making love to a woman and being forced <laughs> to appear before his child. Justin and I did a lot of sex jokes while watching these movies, I gotta tell you. Much ya. to the disgust of my uh, girlfriend, Emily, what? who was really invested in this movie. And I, th- I think she really liked this movie growing up, Yes, right? yeah. Wow. She knew, like, every line by heart. Well, I'm as sorry. <laughs> it's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but when Santa Claus 2 started... thing is, you can't put, like a movie like this in front of me and not expect me to start making sex jokes. <laughs> it's impossible. We have so many questions. <laughs> well, Santa Claus 2, uh, it was made eight years after the original. Yeah, during long which, gap sequel. During which time, uh, I guess, Tim Allen first thought he didn't need a sequel, and then eventually after some movies flopped, he realized he did. And Santa Claus 2 was the well that he was going to go back to. And Different director, almost the entire cast is back. That's one thing that's kind of cool about these movies is there's a lot of fan service. There's a lot of there's a lot of continuity. Judge Reinhold, Wendy Crewson, they're all back. Um, there are a lot of Easter eggs, like the snow globe that appears in every movie. Um, one thing that changes, though, is Santa's workshop gets more and more elaborate as each film goes. Into like a Tim Burton, Bo Welsh style production design. These movies are kind of the last of the what I'll call like the big set family comedies or or just like the big set movie so like you know the flintstones batman returns uh cat in the hat yeah the grinch movies like that big set movies and the second one actually puts um a little bit more gas in the engine where santa claus seemingly has 30 obstacles he needs to uh there are a lot more stakes in the second one (laughs) which is why you know i'm just gonna throw it down right now i think part two is the best i agree with you especially when we start talking about part three well it has a lot of stakes we find out early on that there was in fact a second clause on santa's original agreement which is that he had to get a wife by a certain date and nobody told him until 27 days before christmas uh if he doesn't get a wife 
he will uh, turn back into a human, not die, as someone told me before. Right. Which would have really raised stakes. He'll just be old Tim Allen. But meanwhile, his son, who's now a teenager, is a bit of a juvenile delinquent. A jerk. Yeah, a real jerk. He vandalizes the school, um, gets in trouble with the principal, who, uh, not to spoil anything, <laughs> but the principal may become Mrs. Claus. <laughs> yep. Uh, After one date. Meanwhile, while Santa has left the workshop and is off, you know, uh, play in the fields trying to find with a, a magic ring that only gives him so much magic right that's another one of the stakes he, he only has so much magic to get back to the north pole and let's not forget the most important plot point of all he's built a robot duplicate of himself <laughs> that becomes evil and <laughs> sets a uh, fascist regime in the uh workshop the evil robot santa actually dresses like mussolini <laughs> And he has these big wooden soldiers. Who, so years before Andrei Konchalovsky's The Nutcracker in 3D, this movie originated the art of the fascist aesthetic children's Christmas movie. And all these things come to a head where suddenly for a long stretch of the movie, it turns into Santa Claus 1 again. Well, the midsection of this movie is really the pits. Emily, uh, after like 10 minutes of silence, went, what, are you guys not cracking jokes anymore? It was just the movie wore us out. Well, she also made the point that we cracked jokes more during the romantic parts than during the scenes with bright colors. And she seemed to imply that that meant there was something wrong with us. Like we were... We, 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 like, we couldn't accept emotional moments. It's like we're a kid in the whiz bag moments. We're like, woo! But the second two adults start talking about their feelings, we're like, but and, and listen, my only response to that is, this is the Santa Claus too, okay? I'm not here for, like, the drama is shit. Yeah, it's not good. They go, uh, Tim Allen, and I don't remember the actress's name. Yeah, She's uh, in Lost and stuff like that. Okay. Elizabeth something. Go on a magical date where Santa's just throwing magic left and right, making it snow, uh, <laughs> giving a carriage ride, giving secret Santa gifts to people. And this is implying something that the Santa Claus movie does over and over again, is that people are broken and they'd be whole if they had just received this one gift as a child. Yes, yes. One character actually goes... I got everything I wanted for Christmas, except for the match game. And I will never forget Santa oh, for that. Good God. I mean, <laughs> this crazy consumer society that we live in. This is a real, everything. a real pre-recession movie, I would say. <laughs> Especially in the last one where Santa is shocked to discover that consumerism is consuming the Santa world. I would say, though, that I, I really enjoyed Tim Allen's performance as the evil Santa. It, wearing a uh, plastic mask. Yeah, like he, he really... Yeah, he really talks more like a Tim Allen voice when he doesn't. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a good McGruff the crime <laughs> Don't do drugs. So this movie ends with a CGI sleigh yeah. showdown. Who cares? <laughs> um, it definitely has a lot more CGI. Um, and also something that I just want to point out about these movies is that Judge Reinhold gets progressively dumber as the series goes on <laughs> like a rocky more, if you will he becomes more of a comedy relief guy <laughs> i mean three probably has the most judge reinhold of, uh, of any okay. of them the santa claus three like i almost died <laughs> this movie almost killed me it is like we my... were like oh martin short is in this one he invented chill <laughs> <laughs> martin short alan arkin and Margaret, easily the best cast of the series. Mm -hmm. uh, like it, it's like a funeral. That, like <laughs> nothing happens in this movie. It has the fewest stakes of any of them. The first act lasts fifty-seven minutes, and the last act is maybe thirty minutes. I, okay, so here's what it's about: uh, Santa's wife is uh, pregnant and is like 
eight, nine months pregnant because this Santa fucks. <laughs> he fucks. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, he Santa and his wife have invited the in-laws o- up to the North Pole, but they can't know that it's the North Pole. Because Why? Why? They think they're going to tell people and the secret will spread. Yeah, because... It's established that Santa Claus lives in the North Pole. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, people know that. Yeah, that's common knowledge. <laughs> and it's not like if they fly them over, they're going to be like, oh, this is the latitude and longitude. Go to Santa. And they even later in the movie turn it into a theme park, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. So there, there's a lot of shenanigans as they as Tim Allen tries to convince Alan Arkin and Anne Margaret that it's actually Canada. And that he's a toy maker. And Alan Arkin is a, just a huge asshole in the classic Arkin mold. He gives the same old Arkin performance every time. And it, Alan Arkin is at his worst in this movie when he actually has to act like earnestly in awe. He's like, whoa, this is the North Pole. Your father Christmas. That must mean I'm Father Father Christmas. Alan Arkin won an Academy Award this year, Will. Yeah. Show some goddamn respect. The same year this movie came out. Yep. It's true. Uh, for a little bit of sunshine, a film forgotten to the sands of time yeah, as well. Who cares? Um, but the the big inciting incident of the film happens about fifty minutes in when the sinister Jack Frost, who's just been hanging around for these fifteen minutes for reasons unclear to me, he's just been around. He, he Santa doesn't like him, but he's played by the great Martin Short. We, I should point out here something very important, which is that Peter Boyle plays Tim oh, Allen's yeah. boss in the first one, and we're like. Do you think Peter Boyle's going to come back in the second? And I was like, like, absolutely not. He can't. (laughs) And then we're looking at these legendary figures that appear in the movie. Mother Nature, uh, Cupid, Father Time, and both me and Will at the same time go, wait, is that that Peter Boyle? And yes, Peter Boyle appears as Father Time. So it's one of the rare instances of somebody playing two characters in the same franchise. In all three films? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's insane to me. Anyway, uh, Jack Frost, played by Martin Short, wants to become the new Santa Claus. So. For reasons unknown. For Yeah, because he wants power, you know? Yeah, sure. His heart is cold. Uh, and he wants it for the wrong reasons. So anyway, during a stressful moment, uh, he somehow convinces Tim Allen to put his hand on uh, a snow globe, a magical snow globe, <laughs> while he says, I wish I was never Santa. And so the last 30 minutes, really the only 30 minutes of this movie are just... <laughs> Uh, Martin Short, they go back in time. Martin Short puts on the costume and he becomes the real Santa. And you're like, oh, we're going to see like one of those time travel paradoxes. Nope, because we're going right back to the North Pole again. Well, it goes back to like, we see maybe five minutes of Tim Allen. Yeah, he's a businessman. His wife and Judge Reinhold got divorced because of him. Yeah, for we don't know why. But but Tim Allen realized, oh my God, I've got to go back to the North Pole and make things right. There's a bit of an It's a Wonderful Life quality to it, a bit of a Back to the Future quality. But all of this should have happened way earlier in the movie. 20 minutes in. The whole movie should have been about, you know, what things would have been like if Santa had never become Santa and Martin Short had been Santa. Instead, it's just, it's just the last act. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like Martin Short is sabotaging Santa's life for so long. Like, I, I kind of felt bad for uh, Jack Frost in this movie because I'm like, he's trying so hard to just fuck over Santa and he's not do it's not working. Anyway, so... Tim Allen goes back to the North Pole and he sees that Martin Short has turned the North Pole into a theme park where people can pay to go and they can pay to get on the nice list. And uh, Martin Short and Tim Allen is disgusted by this. It's like this is not what Christmas is about. Christmas is not about consumerism. It's not about the money you have. 
which is ridiculous. Like, what even, what is Christmas about? It's about getting presents. Yeah, it's about getting presents. And trying to avoid spending time with the family you don't like. Anyway, it seems like most of the elves have basically been enslaved. By the way, there are two movies in this series that see Tim Allen trying to save the North Pole from an evil despot. <laughs> yeah, and we should talk about the elves as well, who are played by children. Yeah. And in the first one, it's established that Tim Allen could possibly make love to one of these elves who are played by children. And one of them goes, oh, I'm already in a relationship with someone in rapping. But, you know, here's the thing. North Pole, that's international waters, baby. (laughs) Everything's legal. You can watch me while I fuck. I imagine... uh, Well, we started discussing where these elves come from, and we'll uh, suppose that maybe they're all the children of Tim Allen. Yeah. Or the Santa Clauses. I imagine that Santa has a very, like, Colonel (laughs) Kurt-style lifestyle up there at the North Pole, just fathering children and making them be his elves. (laughs) For thousands and thousands of years. But no, apparently, in in the years between Santa Claus Part 1 and Part 2, he's lived celibately. I don't think so. Like I said, he's making love to some elves. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way that he's And not. there's nothing morally wrong with that. <laughs> they're thousands of years old. They establish it. Yeah. I mean, just in the universe of the film, they're played by children. Yeah, so it's okay. <laughs> All right, so Santa Claus 3, <laughs> who cares how it is? <laughs> like, come it, it, on. Order is restored, but, but here's what's lovely about it. Uh, Jack Frost is redeemed. Yeah, he's hugged by a little girl, which melts his heart. Mm-hmm. which also melts the horrifying statues of Tim Allen's ex-wife and Judge Reinhold. Oh, yeah, because Jack Frost has frozen them. I'm sorry if you're having trouble keeping up with the plot. Really, it's very uneventful. Almost nothing happens in the third one. But what I love about the third one is that the end credits play to bloopers. Yeah, the most dour and, like, silent bloopers you have ever seen. No music plays over the bloopers. They just play in silence. Uh, they're not very funny, no. I gotta tell you. But do you remember how every episode of Home Improvement ended with bloopers? I did not know. Every it. single episode really? ended with funny bloopers, which at that point just means they were scripted. <laughs> you think so? Like, All right, we gotta do an important Cinema Club episode of Home Improvement. Uh, one time I saw an episode of Entertainment Tonight shortly after Wild Hogs came out. <laughs> yeah, the and, uh, Tim Allen, no wait, is Tim Allen that Yeah, one? Tim Allen. John Travolta. William H. Macy yeah. and Martin Lawrence. Okay. As a cool biker dads. <laughs> but... Uh, that episode of Entertainment Tonight had bloopers from Wild Hogs, and what was really funny about it was Ray Liotta was the villain in that movie, and he, like, had no patience for this shit. So you saw Tim Allen, like, messing up his lines and cracking jokes, and you saw Ray Liotta go, listen, just do your fucking lines. He did not say that. <laughs> he did. <laughs> so you think that, like, everybody loves Raymond was a very, like, tense set where Ray Liotta's like, you better not fuck up or you're hitting the door. Ray Liotta's not in Everybody Loves Raymond. That's uh, that's Ray uh, Romano. <laughs> Sorry. Ray Liotta's the guy from Goodfellas. <laughs> of course. I was imagining uh, Ray Romano as the villain in Wild Hogs. Like, you just say your fucking line. No, I think Ray Romano would roll with the punches. Ray Liotta is, you know, just a just a serious actor cashing a paycheck. Yeah, I mean... And Dungeon- he doesn't want to sit through fucking Tim Allen's <laughs> shenanigans. Dungeon Siege. Tim Allen knows that bloopers are his bread and butter. Yeah, that's all he's got. Yeah. I mean... The thing about Tim Allen that's really surprising is that you assume that he's gone into the ether after all these movies, made enough money. Nope, he's on a sitcom that's been running for seven years. And it's very popular in parts of the parts of the continent where we don't visit. <laughs> nope, uh, it's called uh, it's Last called, Man Standing. And it is very it does very well in the flyover states. Uh, and of course, here at the Important <laughs> Cinema Club, we look down on those people. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen an episode. No, but Last Man Standing, I think the whole premise is like it's an, you know, he's like the last real man and it's he's all against this political correctness bullshit. And, you know, 
the the pussification oh. of society or whatever it is. It sounds awful. Yeah, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's bad. I've never seen it. I wonder if it's like the home improvement of a whole new generation. Like I feel they like, come home and they watch it or I don't probably not. I feel like, you know, it, it's similar. It's probably similar to home improvement, but like the politics have become a little bit more charged. Like all of that man woman stuff in home improvement, you know, men are pigs and like power, power tools and stuff. That that has become a little bit more like um, you know, it's, it's gotten more wrong. Of a, it's because yeah, it's gotten more of our yeah. Donald Trump vibe to it yeah. these days. Um, so what is the lesson about Christmas that you learn from watching all these Santa Claus movies together? Oh, gee whiz. It, you know what's weird about it is that there's not really any particular lesson in either film other than you should believe Tim Allen. Yeah, and you, you yeah, believe in Santa. Those yeah. are the lessons. Uh, which, you know, goes to show you can't trust movies. Because <laughs> Santa is not real. Whoa, we're dropping the gauntlet on the important cinema club. I, I'm sorry to any of our five-year-old listeners. <laughs> They're like, we just, I just wanted an episode on Wong Kar Wai again. This is what you're telling me? Yeah, well. All right, so before we go on this dour note, having watched these three terrible films, yeah, there's nothing redeeming bad. about Don't, any of them. There's no, watch there's them. no reason for an adult to watch them or for a kid. Like, I, the, after the first one, I was laughing so hard that, like, my gut hurt. <laughs> and the third one, Will looked at me at one point and went, did you just snore? <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. Still awake. It just like sucked the fun out of us like a vampire. Yeah. These movies are not meant to be watched back to back as adults. <laughs> or ever. Ever, yeah. You think it's like an Illuminati code that if you watch all three of them, it will become clear to you? Well, maybe we should watch all three of them again. <laughs> Backwards. Yeah. Um, like Santa Claus backwards and forwards. When it's Christmas time, Will, do you have any particular movies like to throw on when you go home? Oh, sure. Uh, well, you know, I just I just saw It's a Wonderful Life again. Uh, Not I, a Christmas movie. I Well, it's Christmas at the end. It is, yes. It's, and it's a story of Jesus Christ. Society has turned it into a Christmas it movie. It has, yeah. Uh, it's, it's as much a Christmas movie as Die Hard is. Okay, well, Die Hard takes place all over Christmas, but yeah. sure. Okay, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful film. It's got a certain... Uh, every time I see it... Muddled I, political message? Well, listen, every time I see it, I'm surprised anew by uh, its melancholy quality. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as I get older, I become uh, even... I gravitate even more towards these stories of the compromises and sadnesses and unexpected opportunities that come with growing old. Uh, you know, as the poet said, uh, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And that's what It's a Wonderful Life demonstrates. Wait, what poet is that? Uh, John Lennon, <laughs> who also wrote a Christmas song, in fact. <laughs> well, it's not as good as the Paul McCartney one. No. But what is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I also enjoy Santa Claus Conquers the Martians mm-hmm. because... I it, prefer the Spanish Santa Claus where he fights the devil. The Spanish Santa Claus is is probably better, but I've been watching Santa Claus Conquers the Martians since I was like really young. The MST3K version or the actual raw uncut? Both. Oh. Okay. I, I saw the uncut one first. Mm. Um, and I, I think the movie has a real like... It has a real like colorful Christmassy vibe to it. Uh, I, j- I just kind of like the atmosphere in it. I, there's a really good Blu-ray that Kino put out that's restored and the colors are like eye-popping. And wow, really? I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm kind of obsessed with Christmas movies. I actually wrote a little pamphlet last year with like a list of Christmas films mm. that you can watch. But as far as like Stone Cold Classics go, it's usually the same ones over and over again. Uh, the ones you don't realize are usually about Christmas like... Uh, anything by Shane Black, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, mm-hmm. uh, Lethal Weapon, La- Long Kiss Goodnight, 
And stuff like Gremlins is easy to watch. And my favorite Christmas movie, Jingle All the Way. Oh, yeah, I guess. Oh, wait, before we talk about Jingle All the Way, I would also add Batman Returns to my list. That's right, yeah. Which has a real kind of, it has that melancholy quality to it. It's the most, probably the most downbeat superhero movie ever. I can't think of another one that's more downbeat. Right? I can't think of a superhero movie with such a iconic figure in its title that appears so little in its running time. Yeah, which I kind of like. Like, Batman's kind of a loser in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yes. Anyway, but let's talk about Jingle All the Way. <laughs> Jingle All the Way. Ah, it's so magical to me. I don't know when it's something that I gravitated toward beyond like, <laughs> Jingle All the Way is bad. Well, I saw it in a theater. Uh, did you? Uh, theatrically? Yeah. I did not. I think I saw it on VHS. I still first... remember seeing it theatrically. It was it was so fun. I thought it was just amazing. And I think there was a weird disconnect even when I saw it on VHS, which is like, what is Arnold Schwarzenegger doing in this scenario? Because uh-huh. I saw it before, like Junior or um, what was the Kindergarten Cop? Yeah, where he's still kind of in Kindergarten Cop, playing off his persona while Jingle All the Way. He's supposed to be an everyman dad. Yeah, and the movie would not work if it wasn't well, him in the main role. That is the paradox at the yeah. center of this film because yeah, he's this like just this office guy being cucked by uh, Phil Hartman <laughs> to use uh, the parlance of our times. <laughs> yeah, the word cucked. <laughs> And yeah, and he's this put-upon guy who's, like, being beaten up by kids uh, at the store and, you know, saying things like, put that cookie down. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's an Austrian bodybuilder. <laughs> I mean, so much of the power of the movie is watching an Austrian bodybuilder be, like, humiliated. Or Arnold struggle with these seemingly simple line readings. I am not a prominent. <laughs> I am just looking for a turbo mandol. <laughs> and just running after a, a CGI ball. Yeah. People jumping on top of him. Ah, you have the ball. <laughs> I have a strudel for you. Uh, do you remember that scene? Yes, I do. Uh, uh, Jim Belushi shows up. A little yeah, bit of Belushi right. for your uh, Christmas cheer. Yeah, I only watch movies with Jim Belushi. <laughs> and it all ends in a uh, hilariously absurd climax <laughs> that references Vertigo a bunch in dialogue. Right, with a Sinbad and, and him like flying all over the Macy's parade or something. I like the uh, fan theory someone said that Sinbad's son is dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that like he's going through these motions kind of every year, looking to die in some way or defeat himself. Yeah. It's a very watchable movie. Um, I'm hesitant to say it's good. <laughs> Maybe it's good. I don't know. I, I do not hesitate at all. Well, Jingle All the Way is good. I Put know, it on the copy, on the DVD. I know <laughs> that whenever I see 15 minutes of it on TV, I have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Before you turn it off? Yeah. It's very competently directed and moves at a quick clip. Competently directed by the great Brian Levant. Uh, what else did he do? Uh, he did The Flintstones. He Ooh. did The Spy Next Door. Oh, jeez. With, with uh, Mr. Jack Chan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which will probably be the movie we pick when we finally do our Jackie Chan episode. It's coming. Um, <clears throat> so if you want to go watch Christmas classics, It's a Wonderful Life, Jingle All the Way, and you throw your Santa Claus DVDs in the garbage. Yeah. And you burn them. <laughs> And then go to your friend's house if they have it, burn it. <laughs> yeah. Go to the store, go to HMV and pick up every copy. I'm of sure they house. have hundreds, right? Of oh, that God, screaming Tim Allen stuck in the snow yeah. globe. Oh! <laughs> so to continue the Christmas miracles that have come after this wonderful event me and Will got to share together. We have a letter to read out on this episode. Oh, lovely. Uh, it's from listener Adam M-E-L-E, Mele, Meal. Okay. Yep, sure. He writes, Dear Important Cinema Club Podcast. This is a long letter, so I'm going to really uh, maybe jump. 
No, don't jump through it. Read the whole thing. <laughs> okay, okay. Do, do justice to the letter. Will just wants to bask in yeah. it as, as it's written. I want out. people to love me. I'm on a bus right now. Between where and where? Well, that's a good question, but not especially cinema related. I'll let that just hang there. You guys know as well as I do, a lack of narrative resolution can be a good thing when artfully deployed. Yeah, I, I honestly like happy endings. <laughs> like Santa Claus. Three. Uh, the escape clause. You may be wondering why I'm writing. Well, I am on a bus, so that's part of it. The man sitting next to me has been ceaselessly talking on his phone for two hours. What is wrong of me to yawn audibly six or seven times in a row? That probably seemed a little off to other passengers. What do some people have so much to talk about? That was not a subtle dig at your podcast, by the way. Love you guys. <laughs> I, I, these dream of thought letters. People just I li- like... I li- you know, I like that you're setting the scene for us. <laughs> yeah. We're getting like a mind picture. I'm, I'm closing my eyes. I feel like I'm on that bus with you. <laughs> Anyways, I found a draft to you all in my draft folder, curiously left blank. I'm glad that he sent us this letter. Oh, he man. Like I, like, a nice guy. I like Come this on. nice guy Will persona yeah. that you're putting on. We, we Yeah, we want letters. But yes, now I remember... I appreciated the Sidney J. Fury biography recommendation. Would love to hear you do an episode on this type of journeyman director. Might I suggest an episode on Paul Lynch? The man did the original prom night and the odd, discomforting Blindside, which stars Harvey Keitel as former behavioral scientist named Penafield Gruber, who runs a depressing motel on the outskirts of Toronto where he watches people. Lynch is Canadian. There may be some deep themes in his work that you can explain, but might be going over my head as an American. Uh, I actually know Paul Lynch. He's a good friend of Sidney J. Fury. Oh, really? Yeah, a very good friend. Part of the Sidney J. Fury extended universe. (laughs) He also directed the famed uh, Canadian film Humongous about a giant killer baby. Hmm. Or a man pretending to be a baby. Back to the letter. Anyhow, it's been a pleasure writing and more of a pleasure listening. If only there were a new episode I could be listening to while I was on this bus. Well, it's your lucky day. Best Adam. Well... Uh, Adam, thank you very much I for writing I hope you're this. still on the bus because <laughs> here's the new episode. Can you imagine that like, he gets the episode while riding this seemingly endless bus ride? <laughs> the bus is more of a state of mind. <laughs> it's an existential quandary. Um, I don't know if we'll do a Sidney J. Fury episode. Or a, pa- or a Paul Lynch a episode. Paul Lynch episode, yeah. We may, I, I like the idea of maybe doing a Journeyman director episode. Uh, we did a Michael Curtiz episode, but mm-hmm. he's like the best of all the Journeymen. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't know Paul Lynch. What else has he done? Uh, like like he said, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't name any other films, but he's most famous for probably Prom Night, okay. which is the uh, Jamie Lee Curtis film um, that sure. started kind of the slasher boom and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you do hate Canadian cinema, but... I don't hate Canadian cinema. I like several Canadian movies. <laughs> Xavier Dallas. Um... Meatballs 4. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so we shall put that in our hat. Thank you very much for the suggestion, and we'll be getting back to it later. If you'd like to send us a letter, feel free to do so at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, by the way, thanks uh, to Paste Magazine and Dom Sinicola. I'm, yep. sorry, I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. For putting us on the top 10 movie podcast of 2015. 16. I don't know year. what year I am. Good God. Man, Santa Claus just like <laughs> fried my brain. But anyway, Dom has been a very nice supporter of us, mm-hmm. and we appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I thought that we deserved to be at number 10. <laughs> I thought number 10 was the perfect placement for us, frankly. Yeah. And I'm glad that we knocked off uh, film spotting as the two white doofuses talking about movies <laughs> slot. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I once listened to film spotting. It's like, it's all right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not really for me anymore. I got to be honest, which is why I'm glad that we... we <laughs> You're we, too woke. I'm glad. I'm not too woke. 
No, honestly, film spotting always. I think the straw that broke it for me is when they gave a bad review to Duck Soup, and that is unacceptable to you. I mean, if if it was that alone and nothing else, yeah. But like you said, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. It it accumulates over time, and and fundamentally, it's just not a point of view I can take anymore. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, next week you're going to be listening to an episode uh, about Edgar G. Ulmer that we recorded uh, a few weeks back. Oh yeah, sorry, we teased it a few weeks back. Uh, Everyone was busy. Yeah. Um, so you're going to hear that, uh, great episode and at the end we'll tease to Santa Claus. So you just listen to this episode again. <laughs> yeah. Well, te- yeah, we're going to tease this one. It'll be like going back in time, like Tim Allen and Martin Short do. <laughs> and, uh, until then, I hope you have a happy holidays. My name's Justin McClue. I'm Will Slum. Thanks for listening. Oh God. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Do, 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 do.